0: November 14th, 2003, the Ten Commandments Monument was removed from an Alabama courthouse. In 1962, public prayer was outlawed at public schools. This is the reason why our country is in such a bad shape. Except it's not. That actually is hogwash. And we as the church know that it's not. We as a culture, if you're looking for a merely human reason, are in the mess that we're in because we have removed God-centered prayer and the knowledge of the Ten Commandments from our churches. I told you, if you're not offended by these sermons, you're either asleep or I'm not doing my job right. We, as the Evangelical Church in the United States, not necessarily Grace Baptist Santa Maria, we are more concerned with our comfort than with God's dignity. We, not the world around us, removing Ten Commandments monuments from Alabama courthouses, we are the ones who are guilty of breaking the Third Commandment, thou shalt not take thy Lord's name in vain. How many Christians, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring men and women who go to church most Sundays and really do love Jesus, even know the Ten Commandments, let alone could give a satisfactory answer as to how to go about living according to them? How many Bible-believing, Christ-honoring Christians would even say that certain commandments can be tossed out? Just wait till we get to the Fourth Commandment. I got some good words for that. Because there's a sizable portion of evangelical Christianity that wants to get rid of it. Depending on your political leaning, Barack Obama and Donald Trump are not the reason why the United States of America are in such a miserable place. It's the church, it's us. God's people have forsaken the third commandment. We have taken God's name in vain and we have neglected to honor him and we are therefore reaping the whirlwind. Now, I'm not interested in tonight laying blame on any specific person. I am not interested in laying any blame on any specific generation. Instead, what I want to get across tonight loud and clear, is that you and I must not trifle with God. Don't trifle with God. Don't just think that you could pick up a little bit of God here and pick up a little God there and, you know, put Him where He wants, you want Him to be. Don't trifle with God. My friends... According to God, the Son, it is better to be hot or cold than lukewarm. Don't trifle with God. The third commandment is, according to Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Simple straightforward and man we got a lot of questions (laughs) we have four questions to start with the first one I want to ask tonight is what does it mean to take God's name in vain what on earth does that mean secondly why is it so important that taking the Lord's name in vain makes the top 10 and third what is this threat that God has here and then I would like to know what does Jesus say about the Ten Commandments. So let's jump right on in. What does it mean to take the, God's name in vain? Well, if we're going to answer the question, what does it mean to take the Lord's name in vain? We need to understand first what is the name of the Lord, and what was He trying to communicate to us when He told it to us. Well, we are. We find the name. The Lord, Yahweh, found first in Scripture in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that Yahweh, God, made the heavens and the earth. Yahweh, the Lord, is the creator God. He is the maker of heavens and earth, the seas and all that is in them. Now, frankly, we could stop right there. Because we know any guy, any any guy, any God who can create the heavens and the earth, the seas and all that is in them is not someone to be trifled with. Now, just so we know, and I'm sure most here do, when you see the word Lord and it comes in capital O-L-O-R-D, it's just a way of getting around the Tetragrammaton, the Yahweh, which is what we find in the passages we'll look at today. I'm just going to say Yahweh, it makes it easier, and that's what he told us his name is, so I'm going to use it. Now, Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 is the beginning, as I said, of using the name of the Lord. Now, the first time Moses hears God use his name, and he is the one who wrote Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the first time Moses hears the name is at the burning bush. Now, this, as everyone here knows, I bet, is a very important moment in redemption history. In order to understand what is happening, we need to come to terms with the fact that there are actually three audiences. At the same time as Moses has written it, the three audiences are Moses, and then following that is the leaders of Israel that Moses is going to go speak with. And then, number three, you and me, and every other person who is trusted in Jesus. So let's look at what we see there in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 through 15. Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to to you, and they ask me, what is his name, what shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to this people of Israel, the Lord Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. Thus, I am to be remembered throughout all generations. The word Yahweh, most commentators will agree, comes from this word that is translated here, I am. So this is a big part of what God is trying to communicate. But I want you to notice something else. Something even more important, I think, about the meaning of the name Yahweh. Moses is terrified. Moses is shaking in his boots. You want me to talk to these people? You want me to talk to Pharaoh? So these verses, God revealing his name to Moses, is all about reassuring Moses. He wants him to get something important. Look, you know me, Mo. I'm the God of your fathers. And not only am I the God of your fathers, but I am the God who right now is going to come through on all these promises that I've been promising your fathers for hundreds of years. And just so you don't get bent out of shape, Mo, I'm going to tell you my personal name, Yahweh. Yahweh. I am. Yahweh means I am who I am. In other words, in other words, I don't change. As I was for the fathers, so will I be for you. And when we get to it in the third audience, us, so I will be for all generations. The Lord is telling Moses, look, I brought salvation before to your fathers. You know the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And just like I brought them salvation, I'm going to bring you salvation. So don't be afraid, Moses. And it's this, I will bring salvation, Moses, that I want to argue is the most important part of the name that Jesus, that Yahweh teaches Moses and his intended audience of the leaders of Israel. But notice, the end of this, he says, my name Yahweh, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Obviously, the Lord understood, okay, Moses, you're getting this message, And Moses, you're going to pass it to the leaders of Israel. But then Moses, we need to make sure this keeps going. We need to make sure that it keeps going and that people keep hearing and that people keep knowing that I am the consistent God. I am the God who fulfills my promises. Now, God, we need to hear, is speaking to us And when we trifle with this God, when we take his name in vain and treat it as if it's not worth anything, it is this God that we are disrespecting. We are cutting off our nose to spite our face. Oh my goodness, what are we thinking? Yahweh reveals his name to Moses directly and then he does so again only a few chapters later. Now, of course, most here know this story. If you don't, Google it later. Moses gets this message at the burning bush, and he picks up and relocates in Egypt. And promptly, what does he do? He offends all of the leadership of Israel. He offends Pharaoh, and they both reject him. So, the text says, he returns to Yahweh. Now, what does that mean? Not exactly sure, but he has another conversation with the Lord. And basically, what Moses does, if you read the context there, is he says, God, you stink. I mean, come on, you let me down. God, what is wrong with you? I did what you told me to do, and you failed. And so, in this context, where God reveals his name again, we have to understand what's going on. Moses is terrified, and now Moses is terrified, but he's also angry. That's the context of God responding to Moses. Exodus chapter 6, verse 2. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Remember? Remember? You know these stories, Mo." I appeared to them as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel whom the Egyptians hold as slave, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from slavery to them and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Okay, that is awesome. Don't miss this. If you're falling asleep already, listen to this sentence. The Lord says... I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Absolutely marvelous sentence. I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac and to Jacob and I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. Now remember, you can't miss this. This is central to understanding not only what it means to take the Lord's name in vain, but what it means that it's the Lord's name in the first place. God is defending his name and his character to Moses. Now he could have just squished him like that. I mean, that's what we deserve, right? Had there been a third commandment at this very moment, Moses absolutely for sure squashed it. Moses certainly broke the commandment. So God needed to set Moses straight. He also, at the same time, wanted to bolster Moses. Because God knows Moses is angry. He needs to bring that down. But he also knows that Moses is afraid. And he needs to bring that up. He needs to bolster Moses. He wanted to give him confidence By restating the fact that God is Yahweh and that God of his fathers and that he is the God of a covenant that can't be broken. And here, he has promise after promise after promise. And as I have said many times, if you boil down what it means to be a Christian into one sentence, if you boil down what it means, it means this, trust the promises of God for you in Jesus. And the mother of all promises, so to speak, is the one right here. I will take you to be my people, and I will be my God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And then he'll state the promise of the first redemption, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, but we know from the New Testament that there is a greater redemption that he has already accomplished, and one... That he will accomplish again. I don't know, because I read that kind of fast, you may not have missed a problem in this passage. There's a verse right here that I have struggled with for years. It's verse 3. In verse 3, evidently I'm not alone because there is a mountain of paper and ink spilled on this verse we see a strange statement. It is, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. Now go back and read Genesis. And you will find in Genesis, there are dozens of places where the name the Lord is found. It's all over Genesis. And so you have to say, wait a minute. What do you mean you didn't make your name known to them? In fact, even if one theory is that, well, Moses wrote Genesis after he had this interview, so he just kind of back wrote Yahweh into it because, well, that's who we're talking about, right? Well, that theory really doesn't work. And there's at least two places that it doesn't, if not more. In Genesis 15, 7, the Lord reveals himself to Abraham with the statement, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. And just for good measure, in Genesis 28, he does the exact same thing for Jacob. Now, I don't believe that this is a mistake. I don't believe that this is a misspeak. So I need to go through and find a reasonable solution. One other solution is that the statement, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known, is actually a question, a rhetorical question. And grammatically in the Hebrew, it works. You can do that. The question would be something like, did I not make myself known by my name, the Lord? Now, I really kind of like that idea, but in every single one of my favorite translations Every single one of them, they rejected that possibility. So I'm like, dang, I wish one translation would have picked it up. Then I could have been like, yay. Boy, some of you guys are asleep. Thank you. Some of you are laughing at me. That's good. I need that. Tells me you're awake. But there is another solution, and this is the one that I go with. What we see here and why I'm bringing all of this up is that the Lord is making a difficult statement. He wanted Moses to catch this. He wanted Moses' leaders to catch this. And he wants you and me to catch this because we, he wants us to scratch our heads and go, wait a minute, what, what do you mean you didn't reveal your name Yahweh to them? It's not the point. The point is that he did not reveal his name, Yahweh, in the full meaning of the redemption that he was planning. What I mean is this. Abraham got rescued by Yahweh several times. In fact, many people got rescued by Yahweh several times. But God did not rescue the nation. And what he is doing Here, what he is saying here is that Yahweh means so much more than just this little tribal deity of this small group of people wandering around the desert. This is big, this is huge. Yahweh is not some tribal deity, Yahweh is the God who can make the Red Sea split. Yahweh is the God who can rain manna and feed millions every single day out in the desert. And what he's saying is, I haven't revealed this yet. I haven't shown you this yet. But I will. I am. And I will continue to do so. Now, There's one more passage that we have to look at in Exodus to give us this, a fuller, completer understanding of what it means, what the name Yahweh means so that we will know not to trifle with him. And that's found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 5 through 8. The Lord descended... In the cloud, and stood with Moses there, and proclaimed to him the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and he worshipped. Moses, two chapters earlier, had asked God to reveal himself. Moses, God said, okay, hold on a second. Right after that, the whole golden calf incident happened. You remember the golden calf incident. Moses was up on the hill, no one would saw where he was, and so the leaders of Israel came and they convinced Aaron, hey, Aaron, you know what? We don't know what happened to this Moses guy. We want you to make representations of God so we can worship him. And Aaron decided that he wanted to spectacularly break the second commandment and began worshiping the right God in the wrong way way. By the way, much of what's going on here, you have to refer back to the second commandment sermon that I did. Please go back because there's a lot overlap. So now Moses goes down, handles the situation down there. He walks back up the hill and guess what? He's got to talk to God again. Personally, I'm wondering if he had wished he had not asked for that personal one-on-one, face-to-face with God. Because I think that Moses, once again, is terrified. I think he's scared. I think Moses is terrified that God will abandon Israel because they, we, are such a sad, fickle lot. Moses says fear about that is not unfounded because we are a sad, fickle lot. But God, graciously, agrees to allow Moses into his presence because he wants to make one thing absolutely clear. doesn't matter where you've been. doesn't matter what you've done. God is with you. You can be sure that if you trust him, wherever you've been, whatever you've done, he is for you. If you don't trust him, if you push him away, it doesn't matter if you've been to church every single day all your life, you can be sure that he will thwart you. Yahweh wants to make absolutely clear that He is a gracious, quick to forgive God, and He is loath to condemn. Yahweh, God the Father, is a forgiving God. Jesus and the Father are not at odds. God the Son and God the Father are together on this. And if you want more proof for that, you go back to what Jesus' name was. What was it that Mary and Joseph called him? They called him Yeshua. Yeshua is the Hebrew version or Amaric version of Jesus. And it means, the Lord saves. True believers in those days were not under the impression that God wanted to destroy true believers. Jesus' name means Yahweh saves. In other words, Yahweh, God's personal unchanging name is the name by which he saves miserable idolaters. People just like you and me. Now, like we mentioned last time, like we went over, and please go back, because I'm not going to repeat what I said about the third and fourth generations again. Like I said last time, if we forsake His mercy, if we refuse to turn to Him, then punishment will come. But God longs to give, God wants to give mercy. So, allow me to paraphrase what I get from these four passages including Genesis 2. I think if we want to paraphrase the name Yahweh what we see is God is the personal redeeming creator king of all. He is personal. He is with you. Just like we sing Emmanuel God with us. He is redeeming. He goes out of his way to remind you of how he's redeemed in the past. He goes out of his way how he is redeeming you now. And my friends, once again, we are still looking toward that second advent when we will have the final redemption. And he is the creator, the one who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. But he didn't do that just of Israel. He did that for the Universe. So, what is our response to this? Moses' response: He fell down and worshipped. Worship—the opposite of taking God's name as is vain—is worship. The opposite of taking God's name as vain is praising his name, speaking well of his name, living well in his name, making our attitudes and actions all about showing those who are near us that his name is worth living for, not mine, not yours. So then, what does it mean to take God's name in vain? How do we then break the third commandment? I'm going to state what I've already stated several times. What breaks the commandments is usually our motives. Why are we doing what we do? Oftentimes, is some attitude or action that you do is sinful or not because of what it is you're trying to accomplish. So therefore, taking God's name in vain is not necessarily a specific action that I can say, don't do this or don't do that. It boils down to an attitude, and that attitude really gets to the point of trifling with God. Pfft, whatever um i don't care forget it don't want to be bothered by it so what immediately follows i want to give you some examples for you to think about now these are very general examples but you need to think through what they might look like in your life so i'm going to give you four to trifle with god's name is to blaspheme god's name we see this talked about in leviticus 24 verse 16 where it says Whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. Now, blasphemy is, in short, is speaking or acting contemptuously towards God. God doesn't matter. Nope, who cares? I don't care. I just want to do whatever I want to do. Now, I'm not calling for anything like capital punishment. If we were to institute something like that, I would be the first to the gallows, and there would be no one else to throw the lever. Praise Jesus, that's not going on. Certainly, there are phrases that include God's name as a swear word that would be included in this injunction. However, attributing what only God does to someone or something else is included as well. What about the phrase Mother Nature? I was watching a National Geographic show life below zero. And my little girl was sitting on my lap with me. And one of the ladies who lives 197 miles above the Arctic Circle. Anyways, one of her statements was something to the effect of Mother Nature is trying to kill you. Eliana, with no prompting by me, said, Mother Nature? (laughs) She said, she is wrong. She must mean God. There is no mother nature, only God. That's my girl. I love that girl. There's no mother nature, only God. Boy, I wish we would catch that. But by the way, don't miss the fact that Paul says we cause others to blaspheme the name of the Lord when we see in such a way, when we, when we sin in such a way that they see it. Why? Because they look at us and they see us sinning some egregious sin and they think, oh, they must not think God is very big, otherwise they wouldn't do that. Perhaps worse than speaking ill of God is making false oaths. Leviticus 19.12, You shall not swear by the name, my name falsely, and so profane the name of the Lord your God. I am the Lord. If you think about it, and you're honest with yourself. Forgive me for saying it this way, but I'm just going to make it clear. You've all heard this before. I swear to God, you've heard people say that, and you've heard people say worse than that. What are they accomplishing? What are they seeking to accomplish when they say that? They're trying to make you think that they're honest. I'm calling on the name of God. I must be a a good person. Therefore, you should believe me. Jesus... And very specific words for people like that. In Matthew 5. Again you have heard it said of old. You shall not swear falsely. But you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you. Do not take an oath at all. Either by heaven for it is the throne of God. Or by earth for it is his footstool. Or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king. In other words. Don't say those things. Because God takes it personally. And do not take an oath by your head. For you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you simply What you say, be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Look, it's not complicated. Just be the kind of person that when you say yes, people become accustomed to the fact that you mean yes, and when you say no, people become accustomed to the fact that you mean no. Do that and you won't need to swear by anything. Perhaps even worse than making false oaths is falsely speaking on God's behalf. Jeremiah 23:25 I have heard what the prophets have said who prophesy lies in my name saying I have dreamed I have dreamed Whew, I don't like this one because speaking for God is very problematic it's better simply not to do it however I have an occupational hazard and I'm required to get up and tell you what the Lord has said and Lord willing, I do it in such a way that I am giving you what God has said and not my own. But this is also why James said that those who teach will be judged with a greater strictness. But the temptation is there. Temptation is there for you when you're talking to family members that you see doing foolish things and you just want to say, well, God wants you to do this. One time, Pastor Duane jokingly said, I wish I were charismatic. Then I could just say God told me. Now, if you know Pastor Dwayne, you know he was kidding when he said that. And we both had a good laugh. But you understand why he said it. Because it's tempting to say, well, this is what God says. Don't do it. Don't do it. Go to chapter and verse. Tell them the chapter and verse and let them figure it out. The Holy Spirit is bigger than you and he's smarter than you. Let him do it. Probably worst of all is false worship. Isaiah 29:13 The Lord said because of this people because this people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. Oh. Be careful here. Because what amounts to false worship is between that person and their Lord. I've heard a lot of Baptists say things like, well, Catholics can't worship because of blah, 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 blah. I don't go there. It's not my place to judge. My place is just to say, I want to make sure my heart is right before the Lord. And what you do in your worship, you just make sure you have a right heart before the Lord. That's what you need to do. Now, I can and do tell you this is what the Lord says and allow you to make changes accordingly. But, make sure that you're worshiping the Lord. And when you get to those times, because they will come, they come for all of us. When you get to those times and you're just like, I can't worship You're distracted by the football game. You're distracted by the argument you had with your spouse the other day. You're distracted by fill-in-the-blank. What you do when your worship is being tainted like that. Lord Almighty, I'm struggling. I am being distracted. I need you to meet me here. Tell him, guess what? He already knows. And then ask Him to give you the strength to do it, and then do it. Now, next question What makes taking the Lord's name in vain make the top 10? Three more points quickly. As I noted a moment ago, any sinful attitude or action can be construed as taking the Lord's name in vain. When you sin, you are showing the world that you don't think much of God you are taking the Lord's name in vain. You are trifling with God. You think, not worth very much. You're treating God like an earthworm as opposed to a king cobra. You're not giving him the respect that he's due. It just dawned on me when I said that. Those are very culturally insensitive words. Our culture doesn't want to think that we owe anybody any respect. Let me submit that the one who created the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them is due your respect. What is the threat? Again, we'll look at the commandment again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. You know what my paraphrase of that is? Don't trifle with God. Don't treat him like an earthworm. Not very important. Don't trifle with him. Don't diss him. There's a saying, speak of the devil and he will appear. That may or may not be true. I mean, it makes a good point, I guess. But when you mention God's name, he's already there. Whether you want him to be or not, don't trifle with God. So let me conclude by looking at two quick passages about what Jesus says about this commandment. I already gave one, so here's two more. Matthew chapter 7. On that day, that's the day when every knee will bow to him. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, do many mighty works in your name? How many of you cast out demons? How many of you have ever done any miracles? Hmm. No one? No one? Many who have done these things will say to him, Lord, Lord, and God will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Ouch! What that tells me is don't trifle with God. Don't trifle with him. Instead, turn to him with open arms. Lord Jesus, I need you. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this without you. Lord, I need you. The safest place from the wrath of God is the arms of God. And in fact, if you turn to him like that, you will find, you will pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is In heaven, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we have also forgiven those who have trespassed against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You want to use the Lord's name rightly? There you go. That's a good example. That's a good example to start with and turn to. And so change your life and orient it around not taking the Lord's name in vain. And when you pray this prayer or others like it, you will also be more clear on Paul's instruction on the third commandment when he says, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. My friends, once again, the secret is turning to Christ. The secret is in order not to take the Lord's name in vain is to turn to Jesus and find in him everything you need because he is. Lord, we struggle. This is hard. And we know you are with us. Go with us, be with us equip us, strengthen us so that we will live in such a way that our near ones will say the Lord is with him. The Lord is with her. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.